Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. Oh, I'm going to a city. It lies four square. The gates are made of jasper. Hello, everybody. God bless you today. This is Susan Puzio, and I want to welcome you to the Prophetic News radio broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. And that's where you could find us. If you ever are looking for our program, you could put it into your search engine, Prophetic News, with my name, Susan Puzio, and it should come up on the search. I guess most people that tune into the program know where to find us, but some people don't. Also, uh, you can email me if you have any questions or comments at susan at propheticnews.com. And I will be looking for your email and your comments. Also, I see, yes, we were, last week we were having some sound technical things. It, it wasn't on my end. It was on Blog Talk Radio. I don't know. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm talking, and there's echoes, and there's static, and nobody could hear me. So we had to 86 that program anyway, and hopefully we'll get through this one today. But sometimes also the internet connection can go out and if it and if it even goes out for a second it disconnects the program so then you have to uh, log back in it's a process to try to get back online after you have an issue but hopefully we'll be able to get through the program today without any issues but you never know what's going to happen because you're relying on technology and I don't have any control over that, but God willing, we'll get this program off. I think it's an important topic to know what the Catholic Church believes and what they teach and how it really does go against Scripture because they try to make it like, in their eyes anyway, that they're the only true church and Peter was the first pope. And I remember one time I was sitting with a relative of mine. We were having dinner, and she's Catholic, so. And, of course, I'm a former Catholic. I, I went to Catholic school from the age of seven until eighth grade. So what was I, 13 or 14 at the time when I got out of the Catholic school? But I really stopped believing in God when I was about 12. I didn't really believe what they were teaching I saw a lot of hypocrisy in our church and with the nuns and the priests and the things that were going on behind the scenes. So it was, it was disillusioning and uh, I never knew about being born again. I didn't really hear the gospel until I was probably about 29 years old and I heard the gospel 
And I started hearing the gospel more so. I was 31 when I was born again, and I praise God for that, that I, I finally realized who Jesus really was and why he came when, of course, growing up Catholic, I never really heard about being born again. I didn't stand the plan of salvation because I was taught that you could only have salvation by belonging to the Catholic Church and everybody else was lost. So if I had Methodist friends, I remember I had a, a friend that her family went to the Methodist Church and I was always trying to convert her to Catholicism because I was so worried that she was going to go to hell because she was a Methodist and she didn't join the one true church. So, <laughs> so they put a lot of fear in you. And I always figured that as a Catholic, because I knew I wasn't perfect, that I knew for sure. And I never thought I could make heaven. Heaven seemed beyond my reach as a human. And knowing that I was a flawed human, even though I was young, I still knew that I had sin in my life. I made mistakes or like any young person does. And so I never thought I would go to heaven. I, I figured I could probably make purgatory. And of course, for you out there that you don't know what purgatory is, it's a place where the Catholic Church teaches that you go to get purified. You have to spend time in purgatory before you could get to heaven. And so... Even today, if, if a Catholic person dies, the relatives will, will get mass cards for the person. That will be something that they will buy from the church. And they'll buy these mass cards. Sometimes they cost $50 or $100. It depends on how much they're going to charge you. But you can have enough masses said, or so they say, is you can have enough masses said to get the person out of purgatory and help them to get to heaven because they ha they have to go through this cleansing. So, uh, of course, I never knew that Jesus died so that I could be born again and I could have a brand new life and I could go to heaven. And when I found that out, <laughs> when I found out the truth, Oh, it was a glorious day. So I, I have a lot of compassion for Catholics. It's hard to argue with them because, like I was saying about this relative of mine, we're sitting there eating dinner, and, and she's, of course, she's always trying to get me to come, or at that time she was anyway. I don't see her that much anymore, but she was always trying to get me to come back to the Catholic Church. She was always, one time she bought me a rosary. I, I was like, I said to her, I said, don't buy me any, please don't waste your money buying me rosaries or giving me holy cards with pictures of Mary and, and different things. Like I know who Jesus is and I know in whom I have believed and the poor thing, she wouldn't take no for an answer, but I understand, I understand that because that's how I was when I was growing up. I would really try to convert people to being Catholic because I was so afraid for them that they didn't join the one true church. So she was 
we started to talk, I think she said something about Peter being the first Pope. And I said, well, I don't think so. Uh, Peter was married. Oh, she about flipped out when I said that because she didn't read the fact that Peter had a mother-in-law. So Peter was married. <laughs> what did he do with his wife? Did he divorce his wife so he could go to Rome and be the Pope? I don't think so. But anyway, she was just about beside herself with that comment. I said, well, Jesus raised Peter's mother-in-law or healed P Peter's mother-in-law. <gasps> Peter was not married. Well, I didn't want to argue with her. There was no, there was, <laughs> there was no arguing with her because some people, some Catholics, they're so radical about what they believe. That's why they fought the Crusades. They fought the Crusades because they wanted to have Jerusalem. They always wanted to have Jerusalem because if they could have Jerusalem, it would help to prove that they're the one true church. And then, of course, they had an Inquisition for many years, hundreds of years. It probably still goes on. We just don't hear about it. But at that time, if you didn't join their church, they killed you. They burned you at the stake or they, I was there at the Tower of London and at the Tower of London, they have a room called the torture room, the room of torture. And they show you all the mechanisms that were used to torture people to get confessions out of them. And one of those things was a rack. You can see a picture of the rack that was used during the Inquisition. And you can see pictures of it online. And, and it's a, a long wooden box. They laid your body down and then they tied your feet they separated your feet, spread your your legs and tied each leg up. And then they tied your hands up above your head. And they would crank this thing and stretch out your body until you confessed. And usually the confession was that you had to confess that the Catholic Church was the one true church. And they burned Wycliffe at the stake because of his Sin, so they thought of translating the Bible into the modern language or to, into English so that people could read it. Because at that time, everything was in Latin. The masses were in Latin and the Bibles were in Latin. And of course, it wasn't available to the common people. And they wanted it that way. I'm sure there probably was some copies out there that were handwritten that people could read. But as far as being printed and distributed to the masses. No, it wasn't. So, and he, and then Tyndale, they actually dug up his body and burned it after, but they wanted to kill these people. So what kind of a church is that? That's not really a church. It sounds more like a mafia organization. You can't consider it a church. And when you see people like Kenneth Copeland going to the Vatican and they're cozying up to the Pope, and James Robinson and John Arnott and Betty Robinson, but Robinson, uh, James's wife. And you see these people going up and they're hugging the Pope and they're praying for him and they're eating with him. And, uh, 
No, we don't do those kind of things. We don't cozy up to these organizations. You have to always remember history. And history is that they killed us. They, they, they don't want to cozy up to us. They might act like they like us, but they don't really like us. True Bible-believing Christians, no, they don't really like us. And when you see people talking about unity, and we have to have unity, you know, we have unity of the faith where we believe the same things. We don't believe uh, different doctrines that aren't taught in the Bible. We don't have unity with heresy. There is no unity with heresy. We we only have unity with the truth of God's word, and that's our guidebook for all things. So don't get caught up in all this love, and we have to love each other, and we have to have unity. That Jesus doesn't talk about that kind of unity. No, he talks about the unity of the faith that we, and our faith is in Jesus Christ and, and what he taught us not in false religious systems, which you don't ever, you, you don't ever know what they're going to do to you since they have such a brutal history of hating Bible-believing Christians. So expect anything from this type of an organization. They have, they have a organization called the Jesuits, which they've done horrible things over history to people. And uh, there's uh, there's many books. I think there's the secret history of the Jesuits, and uh, I know there's uh, Vatican Assassins, which is a very interesting book. I can't say I agree with everything that he's written, but this book that was written, it's probably it's over a thousand pages, and it it has hundreds of footnotes, and uh, they talk about talk about all the interference in governments and the things that have happened with the Jesuits. And of course you have the Knights of Malta, which is a paramilitary organization of the Catholic church. And the Catholic church has their own government at the Vatican. They have their own bank. So, and they have ambassadors. It's not just a nice little sweet church. It's, it's got so many ins and outs that we could probably talk about for a long time. But don't cozy up to Catholic Catholics. If you can witness to them, witness to them, and uh, try to help them come out of the darkness. Some of them that have been around in Catholicism for a very long time, it's hard to reach them because they're so entrenched in it. And no matter what you say to them, it seems like it doesn't penetrate, but you have to hope that God said that his word doesn't return void. So you have to hope that eventually that the word of God will take root and they'll be able to come out of the darkness that they're in with all their false teachings and their false beliefs. So also the, they, they really, I think coined the term Protestants, And at that time, I think when they coined it during Martin Luther's time, and of course, Martin Luther was a monk, a Catholic monk, and he started to read the Bible. And then he he saw that the Bible said the just shall live by faith. And he, he was reading the Bible, and then he realized that 
the catechism and and the teachings of the Catholic Church didn't line up with the Bible. So he was trying to reform the Catholic Church at the time. He wasn't really trying to reform the uh, Christian churches that were there or the, the Christian groups that were there, which there were many. It, the church has a history since Jesus left the earth. We've always had a church. You don't really hear about these people that much that were in the background. You hear a lot about Martin Luther, and he's the name that is most recognized as being associated with Protestants, but I don't consider myself a Protestant because I don't like that label that they gave us. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. They're not. They like to say they're Christians. They're not Christians. If you don't, if you're not born again and you don't believe in the teachings of Jesus Christ, then you're not a Christian if you're not following after him. And they'll say, they'll tell you they're born again. But we believed that we were born again when we were baptized as babies. But of course, babies can't talk. So I wasn't making any decision for the Lord Jesus Christ when I was a baby. I, they'd baptize you into the faith of your mother and father. And then they, they confirm you when you're nine years old or however old you are. They make you go through a confirmation where you reaffirm your faith. But you don't really know what you're doing because you're never taught that you actually can have salvation through Jesus Christ. You're, you're taught another gospel that you have to work for it. You have to be a good person. And we know that we can't be good people in our own right because we realize there's no, there's really nothing good in us if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ. So you could do all the good works you you want, but it's still not going to get you to heaven. The only thing that that gets you there is what Jesus did on the cross and we accept that and we ask Jesus to be our Lord and we repent of our sins. And we follow him, we, we accept his teachings, we believe that the Bible is the word of God, and we carry on. But I don't like that label that they put on us, like we're Protestants, like we were, prote we were protesting their teachings. And of course, Martin Luther was protesting their teachings, and he left the Catholic Church, and he formed the Lutheran Church, which still had some things that were hung over from Catholicism, although Luther did do a, a mighty work. He really did, and he was vocal about the selling, and mainly Luther's biggest gripe was the selling of indulgences, which probably some of you know what an indulgence is, but if you don't know, this is what it is. It's you can buy an, an indulgence for money, and that means that your dead loved ones that go to purgatory, now the ones in hell you can't get out, but the ones in purgatory, you can buy these indulgences, and you can buy these prayers and light candles and do different things. You can say 10 Our Fathers and 10 Hail Marys and all kinds of things they make you write out and you, you go to the stations of the cross and you bow down to statues and you, you, you crawl on your knees before a crucifix. You do all these things 
to try to get your loved one out of purgatory. And Luther, that was one of his big things, was he was disgusted with the fact that people were coming, people that were suffering were coming to these shrines at the time, and they were paying money to try to get healings, and they were paying money to try to get miracles. Now, we see the same thing today. It's never stopped. So Luther didn't finish the Reformation. We, it's our job to finish the Reformation. And that's my main goal in my life is to help to finish the Reformation and to stop the stupidity that goes on in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, this miracle selling. It's disgusting. It was disgusting back then. And Luther almost lost his life. They wanted to kill him and he had to go hide out in a castle. He had friends that hid him so they wouldn't kill him. And uh, he, for many years, taught against it. And uh, it, it probably did some good, but it didn't stop it. It still goes on, and people still fall for the same old con, that you have to pay God money for favor, and you have to pay him to get household salvation, and you have to pay him for healings and you have to pay them to get your kids off drugs and if you sow seeds you you reap a harvest and and uh, so the whole thing still goes on and it's always been a money maker it built saint peter's basilica in rome and if you've ever been there and i have it's a magnificent building for the time that it was built it must have cost a lot of money, and who knows what it's worth today. But if you go there, it's a massive building, and there's all these statues, and then, of course, there's all these famous paintings that are worth billions. Nobody's richer than the Catholic Church. I don't care what they say. They could say Jeff Bezos and, oh, the richest man in the world. No, the richest organization in the world is the Catholic Church, and you know yourself in your county, say say you count in your county how many Catholic churches are in your county, and they're all the land and the buildings are all owned by the Catholic Church. In my county, I think there's about ten Catholic churches, so I would say that's probably anywhere from ten million to twenty million dollars, right? Just in my little county. So you can imagine how much real estate they own around the world. Never mind the artwork and the documents that they have stashed away in their Vatican library and they have them where people can't see. They were very good at hiding history. And you see, even today in the world we live in where they want to change history and they don't want you to know certain things. They're going to ban you from learning about vaccines you have to only believe what they tell you to believe. Otherwise, you won't have a presence on social media. Well, here's the thing. And I was thinking about this this morning. Well, okay, they can try to make people believe what they want them to believe. But intelligent people and thinking people are going to think for themselves no matter what they tell them. And you have to think to yourself, do I really want somebody shooting something into me that I don't know what it is? to protect me from something else? I don't know. <laughs> I think we're intelligent enough to make our own decisions, no matter how much they try to censor free speech. 
And yeah, it's getting pretty scary out there as far as the situation in the world, what we're facing today in our own country, which everything is changing so fast. Uh, I can't believe the rate of speed that it's going as far as trying to get people to think a certain way and they want you to to think their way. Otherwise, if you don't think their way, they're going to take you away from the public and you won't be able to say anything to the public anymore. But they, they forget something about Christians. Christians have the Holy Spirit and we have the word of God. As long as we have that, we can think. And they're not going to be able to take away our thinking anyway. And what we believe, as much as they're going to try to change people and re-educate people into their into their system, and that's it, like the Catholic Church, they want to re-educate you. They call they like to call us Protestants, and they like to call us separated brethren. That they're the ones we're the ones that have been separated from the one true faith, and they have to bring us back. And so, it's it's diabolical. And we're not to have any fellowship with the unfruitful, unfruitful works of darkness. So anybody that, if you have a pastor or somebody you like, some teacher or something, and they're telling you that we have to cozy up with the Catholic Church and we have to be in unity, run for your life from that person. Because no, we don't cozy up to false prophets and wolves and organizations that have a history of killing us. So no, we don't. And we don't have false unity. We unify with our brethren that are like-minded and that take a stand, a bold stand for Jesus Christ. And we shall not be moved from our beliefs. But anyway, that's a little bit of my own history. And when I when I was in Catholic school, and at our church, we did. We had a statue of Mary, and of course, she had a crown on her head, and she was standing on top of the world. And there was a snake under that, and she crushed Satan's head, and she was the queen of heaven. And they like to tell you that Catholics don't really worship Mary, but we we worship Mary. We worship Mary. We sang to her. We prayed to her. We even had a an organization that I belonged to when I was in Catholic school, and it was called the Sodality. And the Sodality was girls that were taught good morals, which, of course, there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, we, we used to wear white dresses with blue satin capes. And we had, of course, our Medal of Mary pinned on us. And we wore white veils. And we would march in processions. And <laughs> Mary was our thing, so... We wanted to be like Mary. We wanted to be like Mary, who supposedly we were taught she never sinned. She was born without sin, and and she was sitting there with Jesus, and and we could pray to Mary, and Mary would talk to Jesus for us. And it was funny because the other day I was watching this Catholic channel, and they had a movie with this monk, and the monk says to this nun, could you please pray to Mary for for me, for my request? And she says to him, well, why don't you, why don't you ask Jesus? And he says, well, because I think Mary, she has a way with him. So why, why don't we ask Mary to talk to Jesus for us? 
<laughs> oh, but that's what people believe. They believe that they can't talk to Jesus for themselves, that they, they had to talk to Mary first. And then Mary supposedly has a lot of influence on Jesus. And she can get your request through to him. So no matter what they say, and they they like to say, no, we don't worship her. We worshiped her. And with a great fervor, let me tell you, with a great fervor. So, And, of course, when you're a child, you're very influenced by things anyway. So we were influenced by what we were taught about her and we that she was a perpetual virgin and that she was born without sin. So anyway, I just got a little pop-up here on my computer, but let me know if you can hear me somebody in the chat room let me know if I'm still on the air because that's what happened last week is I got this pop-up and I didn't know if I was recording so I'm looking here in the chat room and if you would tell me if I'm on I would appreciate it but anyway let's listen to some of these audios that I have here Okay, the sounds here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cuz I keep getting this pop-up that's telling me the page is unresponsive. So All right. If if I go out, <laughs> let me know, y'all. Okay. All right. Let's let's listen to now so many beliefs about Mary. Mary was born without sin. That means that of course we're all we're all born sinners as far as we we don't change until we're born again. So, but but they teach that Mary was born without sin, and that she led a sinless life. She never sinned, and she was a perpetual virgin. She never had any other children, and even though she was married, she didn't have any relations with her husband. And that's what we were taught, that she was a perpetual virgin and that she didn't die, that she was a, a, she ascended into heaven. She was assumed up into heaven. And, <laughs> of course, none of that was true, but that only added to our love for Mary and our devotion to her, all these things that happened with her. But anyway, here's a teaching here from... Mary as co-redemptress. Looking in because they attacked the Catholic Church without doing any amount of research. And I would be even surprised if they were even still watching the video at this point. Usually they just go down in the comment section and say how much Catholics worship Mary and this and that. And they don't really even look into it. But Mary as co-redemptress has absolutely nothing to do with Mary being the Redeemer or Mary being the Savior or taking the place of Jesus or be even being on the same level as Jesus. Now, some people say, yeah, but you said co-redeemer. That means equal with Jesus. Really? Because in 1 Corinthians 3.9, Paul said that we are all co-workers with Christ. 
That doesn't mean we're working as Christ does in the same way, in the same capacity. It just means we're participating with him and he allows us to participate with him for the salvation of souls. John chapter 5, I believe verses 18 and 19 talks about how the Father is working and how Jesus is working to save souls and we are participating with him in that. Not in the same way, of course. Christ saved us on the cross and we just go evangelize and share the good news with everyone else and tell them what Christ did on the cross. And it's the same thing with Mary. Co does not mean equal in this way either. Co comes from the Latin word cum, which means with. Trix is a female ending. And so literally co-redemptrix means a woman with the Redeemer. So it's just a, a woman, Mary, who is with her son, Jesus, participating with him in a special way. And how did Mary participate with a special way? And I should say, in, in some way, we are all co-redeemers in the same way that we are all co-workers because we are helping to save souls and bring souls to Christ. Every time you evangelize to somebody, every time you preach the gospel to somebody and they listen to you and they go to Christ and they get saved by him, you helped in that process. You had a hand in that salvation process, of course, by the grace of Christ working in and through you, but you had a hand in it. You were working with Christ and you helped to redeem that person. You helped to get that person saved. You had a little bit of a hand in it in a subjective way. Now it's the same thing with Mary, except that she participates in an objective way because she's the only person who participated in the sacrifice of Calvary. That doesn't mean she died or shed her blood or anything like that, but it means that she gave Jesus. She had a special calling from God, and she was the one who gave Jesus his body, the body that would redeem the world. She played a special role. That's all we're saying, is that she played a special role in the process of salvation, in the story of salvation. And it wasn't by her merits. It was not by anything she did. She's just a woman. She's just somebody who was humble before God, had great faith, and God chose her from the beginning of the world to participate in this salvation process, to give Christ his body, the very body that would save the entire world. She participated in that in a special way, that body which would shed its blood and save all of our sins. She helped with that. So we're saying she had a special role in helping to save the world. And of course, she didn't save the world, but she gave birth to the one who saved the world, to the Jesus Christ, the only Lord, the only Savior, the only Redeemer, the only one who was, who is, and who is to come. Mary, she was just blessed by God. She was just chosen by God. She's still nothing but a human. She's still nothing compared to Christ. She still is nothing but dirt on the bottom of your shoes compared to Jesus Christ. And St. Louis de Montfort, who loves Mary to death, he said she's not even dirt, she's nothing at all, not even an atom compared to Christ. A-T-O-M, atom compared to Christ. She's nothing. And this is St. Louis de Montfort who loves Mary. He loves her so much and he said that she's nothing compared to Christ. But we are recognizing with this title co-redemptrix, which some people are afraid to give, that Mary had a special role in giving birth to Christ and participating in the salvation story. And the book of Luke says that she was going to have her own heart pierced as if with a sword. So she participated in that suffering, not in an objective way, in a subjective way, in a spiritual way, but she participated with him in that way as well. And we all do. In 1 Corinthians 1.
I don't know. I I never thought that Mary was dirt under my shoes. No, I never thought that when I was Catholic. No, no, we never we we weren't taught that. We thought she was God, like God. She never sinned. She didn't die. She was ascended into heaven in a body, and we used to have celebrate her feast days with singing and praying and. Uh, they're a little confused. Anyway, here's here here's a couple of prayers to Mary. Now tell me if these prayers don't sound like worship. On for the octave of Christmas expresses this teaching fittingly. Quote, O admirable exchange, oh. the creation. O Mary, when our eyes close in our last sleep, and open to behold thy Son, the just judge, and the angel opens the book, and the enemy accuses us. In that terrible hour, come to our aid. Be with us. When death came to Joseph, you and your son were with him. Thy son to judge, thou to console. O happy Joseph, when death comes for us, be near us. O Mary, when we are held captive in the place of atonement, plead for us and visit us that we may find consolation in thy presence. Stretch forth thy hand to help us. Deliver us from our bondage. We are thy children. Thou art our mother. As little children we come to thee. We know no fear. O Mary, he changed water into wine for thee. Even as he said, my hour has not yet come. Now he will not refuse thee when you plead for us, thy children. Oh. oh, Mary, come quickly to our aid. Do not let us stray from the fold. The wolf is waiting to destroy us. There shall be neither night nor day to thy praises. Adoration to the Father who created thee. Adoration to the Son who took flesh from thee. Adoration to the Holy Spirit, thy divine spouse. Three in one, one in three, equal in all things. To him be glory forever, forever, forever. Amen. Oh, my word. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit, thy divine spouse? That sounds like worship to me. Here's another prayer to Mary. Refuge of Sinners O Mary, Virgin Most Powerful and Mother of Mercy, Queen of Heaven and Refuge of Sinners, we consecrate ourselves to Thine Immaculate Heart. We consecrate to Thee our very being and our whole life. All that we have, all that we love, all that we are. To Thee we give our bodies, our hearts and our souls. To Thee we give our homes, our families, our country. We desire that all that is in us and around us may belong to Thee, and may share in the benefits of Thy motherly benediction, and that this act of consecration may be truly efficacious and lasting. We renew this day at Thy feet the promises of our baptism and our first Holy Communion. We pledge ourselves to profess courageously and at all times the truth of our holy faith, 
and to live as befits Catholics who are duly submissive to all the directions of the Pope and the bishops in communion with him. We pledge ourselves to keep the commandments of God and his church, in particular to keep holy the Lord's day. We likewise pledge ourselves to make the consoling practices of the Christian religion, and above all, holy communion, an integral part of our lives, in so far as we shall be able so to do. Finally, we promise thee, O glorious Mother of God and loving Mother of men, to devote ourselves wholeheartedly to the service of thy blessed cult, in order to hasten and assure, through the sovereignty of thine immaculate heart, the coming of the kingdom of the sacred heart of thine adorable Son, in our own hearts and in those of all men, in our country and in all the world, as in heaven. Oh, dear. It's creepy, isn't it? It's just like creepy. But that's only a little bit of, of the devotion to uh, Mary. There's shrines for her throughout the world. There was one in Canada that we visited when I was a little girl. I don't remember the name of it, but the big shrine there. I, don't, I think it might be in Montreal and you had the people were climbing up. There was a lot of stairs that you had to go up to get to this shrine. And people were going up on their knees. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess so. Brother Vince, they would cure his insomnia. I know it puts you to sleep, but it's frightening to hear people talking like that. But And then there's, of course, there's the shrine at Fatima. And they... Uh, believe that Mary appeared to these children and she was giving them instructions and that's very creepy too very very creepy and then there's lords but there's many shrines to her throughout the world and people gathered by the thousands by the tens of thousands at these shrines and they sing songs to her and they pray to her and of course we don't pray to dead people we don't pray to saints we pray to the father in jesus name and uh, they're always praying to saints and they're praying to mary but here's a little clip about lords on february the 11th 1858 the eldest subiru child bernadette made her way from this place to masabiel a garbage dump on the outskirts of the little town of lourdes She had come there with one of her sisters and a friend to look for wood with which to heat her family's home. While her friends scampered away, Bernadette, due to her asthma, stayed behind near the gong, fast-flowing river. She felt a puff of wind and heard a sound. When she turned to see what had caused the stir, she spied a beautiful young woman clothed in white and with a yellow rose on each of her feet. Instinctually, Bernadette reached for her rosary, and the woman, who had a spectacular rosary of pearl, began to pray along with her. When Bernadette finished the prayer, the woman smiled and disappeared. Bernadette felt compelled to return to Massabiel, so the next day she came to the spot with a few of her friends. She again saw the lady, but this time the mysterious visitor spoke. Would you do me the favor of returning for the next 15 days? And then she had a message for the priests. 
build a temple on this site and let processions come. Bernadette brought this message to the parish priest, Father Pachimal. She was sharply rebuked. Yet she continued, despite mockery and official opposition, to come. On one of her visits, the lady asked her to dig into the ground and find a spring. When she did so, people thought that she had lost her mind. But in time, water indeed flowed from the spot, and eventually a severely crippled young boy was cured after bathing in it. Bernadette came for those 15 days, and she communed with the lady. But despite the speculations of many, she never claimed to know who this mysterious visitor was. She referred to her only as the lady, or in her own local dialect, Aquero, that one. On March 24th, the eve of the Feast of the Annunciation, she felt an inner impulse to go to the grotto. lady was there to meet her, and Bernadette felt the urge to ask her name. Three times she petitioned, and finally the lady looked at her with a serious expression, and her voice trembling with emotion. She said, I am the Immaculate Conception. wonderful and typical that Mary should appear to such a poor and humble soul. In her great Magnificat in Luke's Gospel, Mary sings the praises of the God who cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Bernadette, who was herself something of a cave girl, was visited by the Immaculate Conception, by the Queen of Heaven, who received the message of the angel in a hovel and gave birth to the Son of God in a cave. visiting, who knows who this was, visiting this girl. But it, it's a big, famous shrine now. I think they even they built a church there, but, and supposedly, yeah, there's some water there that people can bathe in and they can drink or whatever, and they claim people can get healed. Now, we see these kind of things even today where some of these TV preachers, they'll send you the miracle spring water. And you can drink this water and you can get a miracle from God. So people have used this kind of thing forever. And they talk about, see, this immaculate conception. But here's a clip about that. From San Francisco and Immaculate Heart Radio, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill, why are you Protestant? So basically my main reason, uh, you know, I I like the, I guess, the historical argument for the Catholic Church. I think that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's a good argument. Mm-hmm. However, 
um, you know, somewhere along down the line, you know, the Pope became infallible, and then he, you know, dogmatically defined in 1854 that Mary is the Immaculate Conception. Yeah. And I just don't understand how uh, how can the Pope just make stuff up randomly. Oh, okay, great, he... great question. Is the definition of the Immaculate Conception a, a something made up randomly, Trenhorn? No, not at all. At least it's not something that appeared out of thin air in the year 1854. The Immaculate Conception is a doctrine going back to the the early centuries of the Church. We see it, for example, in early Church fathers who spoke of Mary as the New Eve, who spoke of her as, as being without sin or without stain. And and for people who don't know what the Immaculate Conception is, it's often mistaken for the Virgin, virgin birth. birth. Right. But the Immaculate Conception... Or the, or the Annunciation, or the, the Incarnation. Or the Incarnation itself. But but for clarity, what is the Immaculate Conception? The Immaculate to? Conception means that Mary was conceived, unlike the rest of us who are conceived in origin, in a state of original sin that's mm-hmm. removed through baptism. Yep. Mary, the, grace of, the graces Christ merited on the cross were applied retroactively to Mary to protect her from the stain of original sin because that would be fitting that she would not be stained with original sin since through her body mm-hmm. came the body of our Savior who himself is also without sin. And as the letter to Hebrews says, saved us through his body that yeah. he got through his mother. So Right. So I guess, Bill, one, the Immaculate Conception does have a pedigree long before the 19th century when it was defined, just as the doctrine of the Trinity had a long pedigree before it was defined at the Council of Nicaea. Typically, doctrine is defined when it when it's disputed, not when it first comes into existence. Uh, second, I guess I would ask you, why do you do you believe at least that, let's say for example, when Saint Peter wrote First Peter and Second Peter, God kept him from writing errors in those two letters? Yeah, yeah I do. Okay, so we believe Peter is the first pope, and so that we actually have common ground that we believe Peter was infallible when he wrote those two letters. And inspired in that case. Yes, not only inspired, but but infallible. Uh, Well, actually, Bill, what do you understand the Church's teaching of infallibility to mean exactly? What do you think it means? (laughs) Oh, my. They're they're really confused. Notice he says that in the case of Mary, she received... Basically, she received salvation retroactively before Jesus died on the cross. There was a special exception for her. Well, that's not true at all. And she was conceived without sin, and she never sinned in her whole life. And she was the spotless one. Well, of course, they say that she's God's mother, but God doesn't have a mother. As far as Jesus being born from Mary, she gave birth to him. But God, Jesus always was, and he always will be, so he really didn't have a birth in the sense that when he was born in the earth, he still was God. He was, what was formed in her was of the Holy Ghost, so she was a body, basically, for for Jesus, so he, he could be born into this earth and walk the earth then for 33 years. But as far as God having a mother, God doesn't have a mother, and... That's another one of their false teachings, as they call her, the mother of God. And, of course, she wasn't his literal mother because Jesus never laid down his divinity when he walked the earth. He came in fashion as a man, the book of Philippians says, but he always was God. 
He never laid down his divinity when he was here. Here's a couple of other clips about Mary. Words taken from today's St. Paul's letter to the Romans. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the beginning, when the good Lord created the heavens and the earth, it is said that the Holy Ghost literally hovered over the waters of the earth. Like a dove, he fluttered over the seas and the oceans. By the way, the Latin word for ocean is mare. The third person of the Most Blessed Trinity found great delight in blessing creation with gifts, especially the gift of sanctifying grace given to Adam and Eve, our first parents. But with the original sin, with that original sin of our first parents, that gift of grace was taken away. And the Holy Ghost largely withdrew. He no longer was the sweet divine guest of the soul for many, since sin had caused him to depart. The Holy Ghost, though, always wished to return, to return fully and hover over creation again. And his opportunity came when he noted another ocean, the star of the sea, the Virgin Mary. The Holy Ghost was able to find the only sinless spot in the entire universe. He had found the only place with complete innocence and purity. With Mary, he had found an immaculate ocean, a terrestrial paradise, a new garden of Eden that would be a perfect environment for the Son of God to become Son of Man. And so the Holy Ghost overshadowed Our Lady and brought forth a new and infinitely better Adam. The Holy Ghost became fruitful through the fiat of the Virgin, and the new creation was established in Christ. You know, our main church upstairs, we have that glorious statue of Our Lady right in the center of the altar, just above the tabernacle. And if you look closely, there is a tester above Our Lady and the altar. A tester is a mini baldacchino without the columns. It overshadows, if you will, the altar below. And it demonstrates that heaven above and earth below are especially connected at that altar. But you should also note that there is an image of the dove on the bottom part of that tester that is just above the statue of Our Lady. And the symbolism is obvious. The holy dove that is the third person of the Most Blessed Trinity is once again hovering over the ocean of Mary, bringing forth the Word made flesh in the tabernacle below. Oh, <laughs> Where do they get this stuff from, right? Where do they get this stuff from? Really weird. Here's the second part of this teaching. Always fruitful in Mary. He is always fruitful with Mary and through Mary, for she is, as saints have told us, the spouse of the Holy Ghost. Many saints have pondered the infinite fertility of the most blessed trinity. God is life itself. He is the great I am. He is existence, being itself. The Heavenly Father is always fruitful. And that he eternally begets his divine son, the second person 
of the Most Blessed Trinity. And from the infinite love of these two divine persons, Father and Son, eternally proceeds the embrace, the kiss, which is the Holy Ghost. Both the Father and the Son are obviously manifesting their infinite fruitfulness. The Holy Ghost, however, does not bring forth another divine substance. He who is also infinitely fruitful does not bring forth a fourth person of the Blessed Trinity, which would make sense. It's a trinity. It's not a fourth person. Rather, the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Ghost, manifests his fruitfulness in union with Our Lady, his spouse. And through her, and with her, and in her, the Holy Ghost brings forth true Christians, other Christs, who participate in the sonship of our dearest Lord. And so with this spiritual truth in mind, we must increase our devotion to the Blessed Mother. We must beg her to be ever more present in our souls and also in our daily lives. For if this happens, and it makes sense, if we get her more in our lives, the Holy Ghost will find her within us, and he will overshadow her and produce Jesus in us evermore. He is always on the lookout for Our Lady to hover over her and produce fruit. And that fruit is her Son. Through her and with her and in her, the Holy Ghost brings forth true Christians. But with this thing in mind, we must increase our devotion to Mary. The great Marian saint and the voluntary slave of Our Lady St. Louis Marie de Montfort once taught the following, quote, God the Holy Ghost, who does not produce another divine person, became fruitful through Mary, whom he has espoused. It was with her, in her, and of her that he produced his great masterpiece, God made man, and that he produces every day until the end of the world, the members of the body of this adorable head. The great Saint Louis de Montfort then adds, For this reason, the more he finds Mary, his dear and inseparable spouse, in a soul, the more powerful and effective he becomes in producing Jesus Christ in that soul, and that soul in Jesus Christ, unquote. Well, that doesn't sound anything like Christian doctrine. Nothing. So what kind of unity do we have with this kind of nonsense? It sounds like a cult. And that's what it is. It's a wicked cult. Here's the last audio on that particular teaching. For the octave of Christmas expresses this teaching fittingly. Quote, O admirable exchange, the creator of the human race taking upon himself a body and a soul, has vouchsafed to be born of a virgin, and appearing here below as man, has made us partakers of his divinity, unquote. Both St. Athanasius and St. Augustine taught the following, quote, The Son of God became man that we might become God. At the offertory, which we'll have in just a few moments, 
the offertory, the Roman liturgy, while mixing a few drops of water with the wine and the chalice. This is before the consecration, the offertory. The priest prays the words, quote, Grant that by the mystery of this water and wine, we may be made partakers of his divinity, who vouchsafe to be made partakers of our humanity, unquote. The Holy Ghost and his holy spouse, the Virgin Mary, not only brought about the incarnation of the word, but also bring about a mystical incarnation in the disciples of the word made flesh. The mystical incarnation is the very foundation of our spiritual and moral lives. We must extend the saving work of Christ, for as members of his true church, we are Christ's presence in this world. It's us. And if we are to be true to our nature, our new nature, our supernatural reality received at baptism, we must live as other Christs. We must make his virtues ours. When our Lord says things like this to his disciples, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, we imagine how can that be? Be ye merciful, as St. Luke writes, as your heavenly Father is merciful. That's too much to ask. But it isn't, because we have been made, by the mystical incarnation, godly, divinized. So it is not so much we who live, as St. Paul writes, but rather Christ living within us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now you can see a real parallel there, where he says that we've been divinized, and we have this kind of a Gnostic teaching in many para, uh, Pentecostal charismatic circles where they teach that we are little gods. So you can see this whole combination of, of these false doctrines. These, it's really antichrist teachings that Mary was the wife, of, basically the wife of the uh, Holy Ghost. That's horrible. It's horrible to even say something like that. And then to say that we've been divinized, which we have not. None of us, any of us anyway, that are in our right minds know that there's no good thing in us if it wasn't for Jesus, saved or or unsaved. Okay, we've been saved from so many things, but even though we're saved, we we can still do things that aren't right. We can still sin. And do things. So we haven't been divinized because if I was divinized, then I would be perfect and uh, I wouldn't sin. They can say all they want that they don't worship Mary, but that sure sounds like it to me that, that the way they talk about her, calling her the spouse of the Holy Spirit, and they have all this worship of the fact that Jesus was born from her body and so of course that has to make her special well i guess god did see something in her that he chose her to receive that what i would call basically she was a surrogate 
and what was conceived of her was of the Holy Ghost. It didn't come from any man. It, the uh, embryo was from the Holy Ghost. So she basically really didn't have anything to do with with uh, creating the embryo or she was merely a vessel that God used. And of course she accepted it and her fiance Joseph accepted it at the time. And the Lord told an angel appeared to Joseph and told him that it was okay to marry Mary, because I guess it was kind of strange that here she is, she's pregnant and she's not married. But of course, after Jesus was born, they were a married couple and they had other children. So, but the Catholic Church doesn't teach that at all. So you can listen to these things and you can use these these audios as a teaching method in case you run into a Catholic and they say to you, well, I'm this and that. They'll say, like the guy says, well, why are you a Protestant? Well, first of all, my answer would be I'm not a Protestant. I'm a, I'm, I am a Christian. <laughs> I do protest what you're teaching. Yes, that I do. But as far as who I am, I am a Christian. And we were first called Christians at Antioch. So if people try to put other labels on you, it's not true. You know, these labels that they try to put on you. But you can have these these things and uh, to combat what they're saying. And ask them too, where where are these things in the Bible? There's nothing in the Bible about Mary being the wife espoused to the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's just awful. In other words, that puts her on the same level as God. Here's another clip. He held misconceptions, and we're going to unpack those so that we can uh, explain, and so that people out there, when you're getting these um things thrown at you that you can also explain to Protestants what it is Catholics actually believe about Mary. And to be able to have a deeper discussion mm-hmm. about, you know, what Catholics actually believe, because when it comes to one of the misconceptions, which I'm sure that you're about to cover, is that we worship Mary. That is the first one we are going to cover. And we absolutely do not worship the Virgin Mary. There is, in no way, shape, or form, do Catholics worship Mary. And if we ever hear that charge... That is absolute slander. Um, yeah, it's usually connected to the statue thing, too, mm-hmm. uh, which is a visible representation of the family of God, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And from an outsider's perspective, especially somebody that doesn't grow up with Catholic sentiments or sensibility, seeing, you know, an Italian or a, a Filipino lady kneeling yeah. and, and kissing and reverencing a statue, it seems like, one, we're worshiping statues. Two, it looks like we're worshiping whatever that statue is, is yeah. uh, you know, representing. Mm. Um, and that, that down to the very core of what is popular piety is the pietistic response to the College of the Saints as well as to those who we seek intercession from. And the Blessed Virgin Mary in the Scriptures has said that she is to be called blessed by every generation and that her maternal entrustment is to all generations. So to seek that maternal care is something that has enriched my life tremendously, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's right in the official documents of the Catholic Church, uh, Lumen uh, Gentium. Uh, It says, 
no creature could ever be counted as equal as with the incarnate word of the Redeemer. The church does not hesitate to profess the subordinate role of Mary. I mean, this is official teaching restated time and time and time again. We do not consider her divine. We do not consider her an equal with Jesus. We do not consider her the fourth part of the Trinity. She is not a goddess. In no way, shape, or form do Catholics worship Mary, and we openly profess her subordinate role to Mary. Mary has no light of her own. All of her light is a reflection of her son. She is like the... I don't know. It sounded like those prayers they were praying, and there's hundreds of them. It sounds like when you call somebody the uh, spouse of the Holy Ghost, what's that supposed to mean? When you call somebody the Queen of Heaven, what's that supposed to mean? When you say somebody was born without uh, original sin and they never sinned in their whole life and that they were a perpetual virgin. What's that? Kind of sounds like worship to me, but he says it's slander if they say anything like that. All sinners here on this earth, and there is no way we make it through this life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ without his divine help. Now, we also have that great example and that great witness of his blessed mother, Mary, who is now our mother. Is Mary also a sinner as a created creature? No. Mary was preserved without stain from the moment of her birth throughout her life. She constantly chose to live this life of grace. God offers us grace at every moment, and we have the opportunity to take that and use it for our strength and so we can live that life as a disciple or we can say no i can handle this on my own and then that's when we usually fall but mary was preserved from that original sin in the very beginning preserved from all stain of sin and throughout her life she had the free will but constantly chose that life of grace and never once turned away from christ to the love of sin mary was just as human as the rest of us She doesn't fully understand and can't fully comprehend the will of God, but she trusted in it at every moment. She asked those normal human questions, but she asked them with faith and trust in God her Savior. Mary was conceived without sin, and through that grace that she received, she had the grace and strength to say yes to Christ at every moment of her life. Oh, dear. No, I can't imagine it. No, I can't imagine it. No. There was only one perfect, sinless one, the Bible says, and that was Jesus Christ himself. It wasn't Mary. It wasn't Joseph. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. No. It was Jesus. But you notice how they try to direct people's focus toward her. And when you t- when anybody tries to take away from Jesus and put it on another person, another human, it, yes, it is a form of worship also. It is a form of worship. So it sounds like they're very confused. Here's the last part of that series. Break, listening in Milwaukee this afternoon. Hi, Valerie. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Better um, now that you called. Yay, good. Um, I have a question, and it kind of relates to the Immaculate Conception coming up. Um, I know that the body and blood of Jesus 
is without sin. And he's the perfect sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But I don't understand how Mary can be completely free from sin. Okay. What what makes it hard for you to believe that Mary would be free from sin? Well, I think that Jesus is the only atoning sacrifice. True. And so if Mary were without sin, Mm -hmm. then she would also qualify as being perfect. As perfect, that doesn't make her an acceptable uh, sacrifice for the sins of the entire world because she's not God, and therefore she wouldn't have the, in, her life wouldn't have the infinite value that Jesus's does. Um, but um, even so, what's, what's, what's hard about the idea of imagining a sinless person? Uh, all have fallen short. Okay, well, that's a Bible verse, um, and it, that's in Romans 3, and it's true as a general statement. The vast majority of human beings in this life uh, are sinners, so that's absolutely true. But that's a different question than are all human beings sinners. Before the fall, Adam and Eve weren't sinners. After we're all in heaven, None of us will be sinners. We're not going to be sinning in heaven because, as Revelation says, nothing unclean will enter the heavenly city. So being a human and being a sinner are not the same thing. And uh, Is that because of the we're, we're free from sin because Christ's blood covers us? Yep. And so we're purified from our sin because of Christ's sacrifice, and that's true of the saints in heaven. So it would be true, for example, of Mary now on any theory, unless you thought that Mary was damned, which we have absolutely no evidence of, um, even from a non-Catholic perspective. Even our uh, other Christians also recognize that Mary's in heaven. Um, So she's definitely sinless there now. The only question is, when was Jesus's sacrifice applied to her? Was it when she entered heaven for the first time? Or was it earlier than that? Well, uh, for many people in the Protestant community, they might say, well, it was when she entered heaven uh, on the conclusion of her earthly life. That's when she was made sinless. But if God could make her sinless at that point, he could also make her sinless earlier than that. And that's the understanding that the Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches and other uh, ancient Christian churches have regarding Mary. The information we have coming from the early centuries indicates that in order to make Mary a fitting mother for his son, he chose to apply the grace of Christ's sacrifice to her early and in fact protected her from falling into sin in the first place, from the first moment of her conception. So that's why uh, the Second Vatican Council and the Catechism of the Catholic Church refer to her as the greatest fruit of redemption, because the redemption that Christ worked on our behalf was applied to her early and in a more spectacular way, so that she not only was redeemed like we are, but she was redeemed from even falling into sin. And although God could have done it differently, it was fitting that he give his mother special graces, and that's what he did. No, I don't think so. I don't. That's not in the Bible anywhere. I, yeah. Yes, amen. I know. Yeah, we prayed the rosary. Yeah, Brother Vince, we... And in case you don't know what a rosary is, it's beads, and 
you pray on each bead, you hold each bead, and each bead, is, there's 10 beads in one section, and you pray 10 Hail Marys, and then there's a big bead in the middle, and you pray the Our Father there, and it has a cross. And if you, they say if you say these rosaries, too, you could get people out of purgatory. You could even buy your own time out of purgatory and things like that. So, and yeah, we talk a lot about Mary being the queen of heaven. But you see that in that conversation that that man was having with this girl that was calling in, he, he tries to intimidate her, of course. And then he says, well, why don't you think that God would give her a special grace? In other words, that God would redeem her before Jesus died because after she was going to be his mother. And why wouldn't God do that for his mother? Well, that wasn't his mother in, in the sense, like I said, because Jesus always was and he was in heaven before he came to earth. And so he didn't lay down his divinity. So he didn't have a mother in that sense. So it's it's false teaching it's totally false teaching and uh here's a here's a clip that this priest says that if you don't go to confession you don't have salvation they also said that there was one clip and i don't really have time to play it but it said that if you didn't believe uh, about mary being without sin and her not dying that you can't be saved that's what they were saying. <laughs> and that's why this feast is so important. Because the Blessed Virgin convinces us that this life is passing. And that is our goal. And if we are humble, listen to this. If we are humble, then the Blessed Virgin will put her mantle upon us and she will reveal to us the truth about heaven, judgment, hell, and heaven. Because as the church teaches, she is the crusher of Satan's head. Isn't it beautiful to have, if we're humble, then the Blessed Virgin will reveal all these things to us. Woe to you if you do not go to confession to a priest once a year and stay within his grace and go often and submit yourself to the one true faith. Because God and the Blessed Virgin will have the last So as we continue this holy... Oh, dear. That's frightening, isn't it? Could you imagine going and, and sitting through some somebody talking to you like that? Now, Mary didn't crush Satan's head. Please. And, of course, as Catholics, we believe that we had to go to confession. We couldn't confess our sins to God. No, you couldn't go to directly to God to confess your sins. You had to go to a church building and go inside a confessional, which is a box. If you if you ever walk into a Catholic church, you'll see it. There's a box on each side, usually, of the church. And there's a 
a curtain on one side and then there's a door usually and the in the the priest goes inside the door and there's a grill and you go in there and you go behind the curtain and you kneel down and there's this grill and you talk you talk to the priest and you confess your sins to this man and then he gives you absolution and then he gives you a penance to say that you have to go and do something because you sin, you have to say 10 Our Fathers or 10 Hail Marys, or you have to do something to get forgiveness of your sins. And it's weird. So they would teach us that if you didn't get to confession, especially before you died, you would go to hell if you didn't get to the priest. And I, that was something I was always scared about as a child, that I, I would think that, oh, if I can't get to the, if I can't get to confession, to the church building before I die, I'm going to go to hell. It put a lot of fear in me. Imagine having that kind of fear to, of thinking that there was no salvation, there was no way out, that you had to get to a priest to confess your sins before you died. Otherwise, you couldn't have forgiveness. It was terrible, very terrible. You 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 grew up with, with uh, a lot of phobias, having to believe that about God. Because you didn't know that God loved you enough to send his son. You heard sometimes you would hear these things about salvation, but it was never explained to you. You you never really understood the plan of salvation as far as being born again and having the forgiveness of sins. And that's why Jesus came to die, to give us a new life and to redeem us and to give us a home in heaven. Those things were never really explained. And you can hear it. When you listen to these priests talk and you hear the teachings, and uh, it's very funny. It's a, this feast it's a bondage. So- it's a bondage religion. It's a false religion. It's a cult, and it's dangerous. And stay away from these so-called Christians that want you to unite with Rome. We don't unite with Rome. We don't re- unite with false religious systems. We run away from them. Even if you have to lose every friend you have or your family members might not might not talk to you if you you have Catholic family members, you can pray for them. You don't have to argue with them because they're they're so blinded. And it's it's a really a, a dangerous form of brainwashing these Catholic teachings and the teaching that Jesus actually lives in that in the communion, that the priest has the ability to change to change bread and wine into the actual body and blood of Jesus. They really believe they're eating Jesus when they go to communion, which is impossible. Nobody should be teaching that because we take the the bread and wine in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. We don't worship the communion. We don't believe that that's actually the body and blood of Jesus. Going to communion doesn't save us. Being baptized doesn't save us. No, we have to be born again. Let's finish up with um, 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, Colossians. Colossians. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, 
Yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will, worship, and humility, and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Amen. Well, that's our program for today, so don't forget, if you want to contact me, you can contact me, Susan at propheticnews.com. We have our website, propheticnews.com, and we have our YouTube channel and the uh, other network that Jackie had, Christian Sentinel, is no longer on Blog Talk Radio. But I I noticed that they have a lot of the archives on some of some other platforms. So if you're ever looking for some of the programs from Christian Sentinel, um, there on the search if you put Christian Sentinel Radio in the search they should come up so those are out there for you and uh, you can check out Jackie's website where she's writing some new articles the Christian Sentinel which she has a newsletter there so she'll be doing more writing and maybe hopefully in the future she'll resurrect her radio program. But I want to thank everybody that tuned in today. All my listeners, especially in South Africa, and we have many listeners there, we're praying for you. We were distressed for your pain. Oh, 
care about what's going on in the world. We we're in we're in the end time saints and we have to be aware of what's going on and we just have to stay steadfast in the Lord and not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but stay strong in the Lord and also our brother Vince Truth Sharks Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Don't forget to check him out. He's got a great program there too. So I want to thank everybody, Rick, Shannon, and Brother Vince that were in the chat room today. Thanks for stopping by. And uh, we had a pretty good flaw, flawless, I think, radio broadcast today, which I'm grateful for. But don't forget the most important thing today is to give your life to Jesus Christ. Be born again. You must be born again, Jesus said, once you're born of your mother, and then you must be born again of the Spirit of God. It's your decision to make to ask the Lord to come into your life and to save you and to forgive you of your sins. Romans 10.10 says, Confession is made with the mouth unto salvation. So give your life to Jesus today. You'll never regret it. God bless you. Be the name of the Lord. He is the 